0: So, there was this poster at the gym and it read, imagine your best self, okay? And then in in smaller print at the bottom, the poster said, and take the steps to make it reality. Imagine your best self and take the steps to make it reality, that's not bad. Now, sadly, my gymnasium was only considering the physical portion of the human being. Having bought the insupportable lie of materialism, our society has decided that that the physical is the only thing that matters. But if you will instead, please, visualize a more complete picture of a person, then that poster slogan becomes useful. Imagine your best complete self and take steps to make it reality. That's actually, you ready for this? That is actually a biblical idea. The Bible offers well-rounded examples of people who took the necessary steps to become complete people. Just consider Samuel, okay? He is a much better poster boy than anything you'll find in any gym. Open your Bible to 1 Samuel chapter 2. 1 Samuel, right after Judges and Ruth, just before 2 Samuel. Isn't that intuitive? Go to 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 26. There you're going to find Samuel's amazing poster advertisement. Uh, let's read verse 26. By contrast, I'll explain that in a moment. The boy Samuel grew in stature and in favor with the Lord and with men. If you will please look at your bulletin notes, open up your bulletin. If you look in there, you'll see our summary of this important verse. Samuel is growing according to God's plan. Notice the critical opening words, by contrast. You see that? That tells us right off the bat that he is not like all the others around him. Samuel is different. The context describes the sons of the high priest Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, um, how shall I describe them? They were two of the nastiest blisters ever in Israeli history, okay? These are, these are bad dudes. Look, look, here's how they're described. Now, Eli, that's the high priest, he was very old. He heard about everything his sons were doing to all Israel and how they were sleeping with the women who served at the entrance of the tent of meeting. He said to them, why are you doing these things? I've heard about your evil actions from all these people. No, my sons, report I hear from the Lord's people is not good. But they would not listen to their father, Hophni and Phinehas. Their behavior was in keeping with the great theme of those days, the the times of the judges, because during that era, everyone did whatever he wanted to do. Judges chapter 17, verse 6. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. Now, with that in mind, Consider again what a big deal those first words are in 1 Samuel 2, 26. By contrast, that's a big deal. So you tell me, what are people like today? They basically do whatever they want, don't they? Basically, human beings today, here's my description of human beings in our society. They act like animals. They steal like blue jays. They mate like cats. They gang up on social media like jackals. They hoard stuff like pack rats, and they whine like puppies. And then there's us. I have a very hard question for you as we start this new year. Would God use by contrast when describing us? Are we visibly different from our evil age? Samuel was. We should be as well, but we are often not discernibly different. And I think that's why you and I need this study. The Hebrew text makes it clear that Samuel is following a strategy. It is a particular and decided strategy that allows to be different. Look, holik look, gedil uh, are the Hebrew verbals that are used of Samuel. They're notoriously hard to get into English provoking a wide divergence of translations. I, I rather think the ESV has it best as continued to grow. Holik uh, is what the ESV translate continued. It, it means to go, but here's what the experts tell me, and, and I am not a Hebrew expert. They say that when holik is used with another verb like this together, it, Holik means to follow a procedure or course, uh, and and gadil means to grow. So to follow a course, to grow. Together they mean going about doing certain things, regular, consistent things that constitute a lifestyle for growth. Thus, from his childhood, Samuel followed a particular growth plan. By the way, this is one of the reasons I was glad to have a bunch of young people in here today. This is not merely something for adults. All people need holik gadil. We are never too young or too old to start living according to a regular growth pattern. The young boy Samuel developed a lifestyle plan from Scripture, from the Lord, from Eli. Samuel recognized a lifestyle course that made him grow up right. Most people don't follow any plan to grow up. Growing is just something that passively happens. And thus, they become simply little mirrors of the culture around them. So when the world around them becomes crazy, they become crazy as well. You see this throughout history. For example, look, look at the 1930s, okay? During the 1930s, America was a pretty wild place, all right? A, a great, in case you don't know, a Great Depression had descended on the land, and the whole attitude of this country was, frankly, nuts. Alcoholism and suicide rates skyrocketed. Constitutions and laws were stretched way beyond reason by the executive branch of government, and new media, there was this new media uh, radio and, and, um, and, and uh, photography, those began to dominate people's thinking, right? Thus, in the craziness of the 1930s, people somewhat understandably begin to do wild and crazy things. I read an article by a a really good writer, Gene Fowler of Austin, Texas, and he wrote about some of the Texans who were caught up in the nuttiness of the 1930s. Let me just read you a couple of these. Listen to this. Uh, Harm Williams, nicknamed Hoopy, rolled a steel hoop from Texas City, Texas to New York City. Yeah. Bill Williams of Rio Hondo went to Colorado and rolled a peanut... Up Pikes Peak with his nose. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, let's see. He burned through 21 pairs of gloves and knee pads, not to mention 184 peanuts during his 22-day effort to reach the top. Crazy people in a crazy time. And here's my favorite. Here's my favorite. Plenty El Wingo. All right. This man bought special glasses with rear-view mirrors and walked backwards out of his failing restaurant in Abilene, Texas. He said he was going to walk backwards around the world. Wingo actually made it all the way to Boston and boarded a steamship for Istanbul. There he was arrested by the Turkish authorities because they were sure he was insane. (laughs) The US consul got him out of prison, sent him back to America, he landed on the east coast and walked backwards to Fort Worth. Now, compare all that nuttiness with Joe Rance, okay? Let me tell you about Joe. Joe was a poor young man living in the same era Same struggles, but he became an Olympic champion instead of a goofy historical footnote. The the excellent book, The Boys in the Boat, tells Joe's story. How many of you read The Boys in the Boat? It was a very popular book. Okay, quite a few. The the difference was that instead of going insane like all the rest of America, Joe learned discipline. He learned self-control. Rowing in crew for the University of Washington, Joe learned to follow God. Let me read you from one of Joe's sessions with George Pocock. Um, <clears throat> George Pocock was an incredibly talented British boat builder who happened to live in Seattle, and he discipled all the men in the University of Washington crew for about 40 years. Listen, listen to this. George Pocock. Pocock pulled out a thin sheet of cedar, one that had been milled down to three-eighths of an inch for the skin of a shell. That's what they call racing boat, rowing, boat, it's a shell. He he flexed the wood and had Joe do the same. Pocock talked about the camber and the life it imparted to his shell when wood was put under tension. He talked about the underlying strength of the individual fibers in cedar and how, coupled with their resilience, they gave the wood its ability to bounce back and resume its shape, whole, intact, or how, under steam and pressure, they could take a new form and hold it forever. That ability to yield, to bend, to give way, to accommodate, he said, was sometimes a source of strength in men as well as in wood. So long, so long as it was hemmed in by inner resolve and by principle. He took Joe to the end of a long I-beam on which he was constructing the frame for a new shell. Pocock sighted along the pine keel, and he invited Joe to do the same. It had to be precisely straight, he said, for the whole 62-foot length of the boat, not one centimeter of variance from one end to the other, or the boat would never run true. And in the end, that trueness could only come from its builder from the care with which he exercised his craft, from the amount of heart that he put into it. Pocock paused and stepped back from the frame of the shell and put his hands on his hips, carefully studying the work he had so far done. He said for him, the craft of building a boat was like religion. It wasn't enough to master the technical details of it. You had to give yourself up to it spiritually. You had to surrender yourself absolutely to it. When you were done and you walked away from the boat, You had to feel that you had left a piece of yourself behind in it forever, like a bit of your heart. He turned to Joe. Rowing, he said, is like that. And a lot of life is like that, too, the parts that matter, anyway. Do you know what I mean, Joe? Joe, a bit nervous, not at all certain he did, nodded tentatively, went back downstairs and resumed his sit-ups, trying to work it all out. We'll stop there. I hope you read the whole book. Let me ask you this. Why don't most Christians today act like Samuel? Why don't we listen to the George Pococks of our lives who are teaching us how to grow up straight? Why don't we throw ourselves into the right plan with discipline? Because we are caught up in the same nonsense as our forefathers. Let's look at today. Alcoholism and suicides have once again skyrocketed, just as they did in the 1930s. Constitutions and laws are stretched way beyond reason by the executive branch of governments, and new social media are dominating people's thinking. Once again, we have passively become mirrors of the backwards walking world around us. Of course, there are marvelous exceptions. I get to see the beauty of people who are following the right plan every week because I get to grow up with you people. Many people in this church have a deserved reputation for walking straight through a crooked and backwards world. I'm very proud of you. Scott Ross, a member of Frisco Bible Church, recently posted a great summary of this through his social media. Uh, he quoted management expert Ken Blanchard, by the way, who's also a brother in Christ. Ken Blanchard said this, nice guys may appear to finish last, but usually they're running in a different race. Close quote. If we, if we will run God's race with Holik Gadiel, we, we, you know what we'll become? We'll become like Samuel, people who are different by contrast to all of those nuts who are around us. But I know, I know what many of you are thinking is you no doubt are saying to yourself in that uh, Mickey Mouse voice in your head, oh, that was only for the Old Testament. Surely that Samuel kind of growth plan doesn't apply to our Christian lives today. Oh. Thank you for asking, Mickey, it's a good question. Really, you think, do you think that Samuel's example doesn't fit a follower of Jesus? Alright, then you look up here at Luke chapter 2, verse 52, where we're going to learn that Jesus grew also according to God's plan. Luke chapter 2, verse 52. Read it with me, would you everybody? Luke 2, 52, line by line. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and with people. Luke purposefully and pointedly parallels 1 Samuel. Did you notice that? Look. Obviously, this is a trans-covenantal issue. Jesus himself grew the same way. And and Luke even used Prokopto, which is a great way to depict Holik Gideal into Greek. Prokopto, by the way, adds one dynamic that's really cool. Prokopto is the idea of sailing against headwinds, right? Of pushing on through adversity. Jesus increased. He grew despite adversity, despite culture. And look at the particular arenas in which God has for his people to grow. There's four of them. You see that? In wisdom, in stature... In favor with God and favor with people. When our kids were little, Jana and I used to play a really campy old Steve Green song all the time. They listened to this. Luke 2, verse 52. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. And Jesus grew Oh yeah. Grew How many of you wisdom. know this song? In okay, you grew and up on Jesus this And Jesus grew
1: In stature In stature And Jesus grew And Jesus grew In favor In favor With God It's
0: an earworm a of a song. Grew, and Jesus grew and Everybody Jesus grew In wisdom Come on.
1: And Jesus grew Repeat him. grew In stature In stature And Jesus grew. And Jesus grew In favor In favor, in favor. With God With
0: All right, what an earworm of a song. But if you hum that, all you do is hum the tune around my kids, and they start, well, first of all, they get angry. But they... They start singing. They start thinking about how Jesus grew. He increased the way Samuel did, the way we're supposed to, with a vision for where we're going and with a plan to get there. We're to grow in consistent persistence despite the headwinds, despite all the obstacles. Now, on the right side of our notes, we have room to examine each of these areas that God makes for our goals for growth. Let's start with growing in wisdom. Okay, Growing in wisdom. We've got to begin with this. What is wisdom? God gave the Hebrews an Excellent word for wisdom, hukme. Hukme means skillful living. And by the way, this idea has been the basis in nearly every world culture for wisdom ever since the Hebrews first wrote this for, for millennia, three millennia. To be wise is to be skillful at living. It's, it's, that's the thing in which God's people are to grow, to live tactically, carefully, craftily, skillfully. But one surely must ask in one's best uh, Nick Saban voice, Why is it so important to God for us to grow in wisdom? Nick Saban. We win. Okay, uh, yeah, good question. Wisdom is important. Thank you, Nick. Wisdom is important. It's important to God because it changes lives. When God's people are wise, when they are growing in skillful living, you know what they do? They lead the world in goodness and in health. For example, consider the leaders of the tribe of Issachar. 1 Chronicles 12, fascinating chapter of the Bible, it lists uh, lists this remarkable generation of leaders who served David and who with David turned Israel into a true force. And in that list we have this amazing comment, 1 Chronicles 12, 32, of Issachar, men who had understanding of the times, who knew what Israel ought to do, 200 chiefs and all their kinsmen under their command. The the people of Issachar were wise. They, They understood the times that allowed them to help, to help King David change Israel and, and change the world. Wisdom is skillful living that changes the world and we must grow in it, but that takes a plan. Listen, just dreaming about being wise does not make one wise, right? Denzel Washington spoke on this recently, another Christian brother of yours. He was, he was encouraging a bunch of young actors on a stage he was on a stage and somebody was so moved by what Denzel was saying that they grabbed their phone, without his permission, they grabbed their phone in the audience and they begin to record. I want you to look and listen to this speech by Denzel as he's training these young actors. Listen. Carefully. Understand
1: this, understand this also, you have these dreams and as Kenny said, dreams without goals remain dreams, just dreams and ultimately fuel disappointment. Dreams without goals, yearly goals, light goals, daily goals, monthly goals, hourly goals, minute by minute goals. Dreams without goals are just dreams. And they ultimately fuel disappointment. Goals on the road to achievement cannot be achieved without discipline and consistency. Hmm. You understand? Between goals and achievement are discipline and consistency. Mm -hmm. I pray that you all put your shoes way under the bed at night so that you got to get on your knees in the morning. Mm -hmm. Eh, And while you're down there, thank God for grace and mercy and understanding.
0: Good stuff. He, he, goes on, um, he goes on to preach a really fine, rather disjointed, but really fine sermon, but we're going to stop there, all right? The big idea is it takes discipline and consistency to achieve the goals has for you. So, by way of example, okay, I'm just going to use myself as an example today. Here's my most important consistent discipline that helps me grow in wisdom. I read the Bible every day. Nothing else will grow a person in skillful living like reading scripture. Now that I have finally finished that 90-day Bible challenge, our pastor horribly foisted on us, I'm back to my old rhythm. And my old rhythm is some days I only read very few, one, two, three verses. Other days I read large sections, but I meditate on what I read. And I write notes in my Bible margins. I'm always writing notes about what I'm learning. Some years I follow a Bible reading plan. I I particularly like the chronological ones. Other years I just keep turning to new books in the Bible that, that I think will address what I see God is exposing as holes in my life. But I determine to daily consider Scripture because nothing will make a person wiser than the Bible. Especially the Bible will expose your character flaws. Otherwise your goals become just like all the rest of the world. It's just something about you and you grabbing things and building a world around you. But you know what the Bible will do? It'll smack you in the teeth unless you realize it's not all about you. So so suppose you're like me, and by the way, most of you are. Almost everyone in this culture is a problem with reactionary fear. This is the most fearful culture. As I look through history, it's one of the most fearful cultures in all of human time. And it makes absolutely no sense. If you're full of fear, you go read the book of Joshua, and you find out just how fearful you are. You can do that. You can read Joshua. You can read Habakkuk, wherever Habakkuk went to on me. You can read Habakkuk, and you can find out what, just what a fearful pansy you are and God's plan to change that. Or, or you can go on to Facebook and post your fears and let a bunch of pack of fools tell you how right you are to be scared. And it's somebody else's problem, not yours. But the problem's you. See, that's what the Bible does. It shows you that we've met the enemy, and he's us, not anybody else. I read a lot of other stuff. I read two or three books every week. I really enjoy the great Greek thinkers. I like the Chinese writers like Confucius. I even get something out of fools like Rousseau and those horribly depressing books they make you read in high school. Um, <laughs> I I can and I do learn from everyone, but nothing grows me in wisdom like the Bible. Solomon, the wisest human, said it best. Look what Solomon said, Proverbs chapter 2. My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, listening closely to wisdom, directing your heart to understanding, furthermore, if you call out to insight and lift your voice to understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it like hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom, from His mouth come knowledge and understanding. All God's people said? Now, look in your notes, look in your notes right now, where it reads, My plan to grow in wisdom during 2017. Let's take a minute right now, and I want you to prayerfully consider some ideas for specific daily or weekly or or monthly steps that will help you grow in wisdom during the coming year. You, You... Listen, you can finalize this later with the Lord, but I encourage you to write something down right now. Guys, otherwise Denzel is right. Your dreams of wisdom will remain dreams and just fuel disappointment. Write something down. What is God revealing for you to do in order to grow in your character, to grow in wisdom? If you don't have anything with which to write, Vicky has 14 pens in her purse right now. She can cover that whole section. Somebody near you. Open up your purses, ladies, would you? Get, get out pens. There, there's so many engineers in this church. there's got to be some guy with a pocket protector and six pens. So you borrow borrow a, do you like that? that was good. Borrow a pen right now and write something down. Do it. I beg you to bless my brothers and sisters, that from this beginning, you will iron out with them the things that will help them grow in wisdom, and you'll do the same for me. In Jesus' name, amen. Secondly, Jesus grew in stature. Let's talk about growing in stature. Stature is a particularly Greek way of describing the human form. To grow in stature is to grow physically. Now, physical growth is one of those things the Bible just assumes. Uh, it's like breathing. Breathing. It's rarely mentioned in the text because it's just a significant, ongoing, assumed part of life. We're told about some stature growth. We're we're told how David uh, became strong by battling in the fields, watching over his flock. Uh, We're told how the Apostle Paul worked physically to master his body daily, little hints like those. But for the most part, the Bible takes for granted that we're going to imitate Jesus in physically growing strong. So, again, merely as an example, here's how your lead pastor does that. I pay an annual fee to the Frisco Athletic Center and I go there nearly every day of the week. Three days a week, sometimes four, I swim. I don't swim very far. I don't have time. I don't have much time. Swimming is a time-consuming thing. You know what I do? I get in, and I do cardio work swimming, and I just swim as hard as I can, as fast as I can, until my heart rate gets up to above 140 beats a minute. Usually takes about 10 minutes. After about 10 minutes, my heart beats up above 140. I get out, I dry off, and I go to work. I got work to do. Two days a week, I take the morning off, and I play racquetball with my sweetheart. Jana is really good at racquetball, and we keep the weight off by playing until we are fairly soaked with sweat. By the way, best part of racquetball, the best part of racquetball, we have a rule. If the score ever hits this, 7 serving 11, then I get to stop at 7-11 on the way home and buy a Slurpee. It's awesome. I don't know where that developed. It's not in the Bible, but it is a serious rule for us. This year has been really hard for me stature-wise since some some seriously torn tendons, a number of them in my elbow, kept me from working out regularly. So instead, I spent six months this year, six months in physical therapy, two or three days a week. At least an hour and a half, two or three days a week. Even though that wasn't my physical plan and I did gain a few pounds, physical therapy is an important part of growing in stature. It was a good way to praise God and to grow up. Speaking of painful things like physical therapy... I also go see my doctor every single year, and not just the ER, wonderful as those are, but I visit my friend, Dr. Guy Culpepper, whom I have been seeing for my annual checkup every year for 28 straight years, all right? Of course there are parts of the exam that I loathe, (laughs) just as my wife doesn't enjoy every aspect of her annual physical, but that is part of the discipline of growing up in stature. Here's another thing I do, speaking of doctor. A few years ago, <clears throat> this genetic time bomb associated with my ancestry, my genetics, nothing to do about it, it kicked in and my liver started producing too many of this particular kind of, of molecule called triglycerides. So my doctor and I decided that I needed to add fish oil to my diet and I would stop eating carbohydrates at night. So now most nights I only have a salad for supper, sometimes with a, a little protein thrown in. It's one of the practices that grows me in stature. What are yours? Or, Better yet, what should they be? In your notes, take advantage of the space. You see it, it says, My plan to grow physically during 2017. And I thought later I should have added grow up because I know some wag here is going to write me and say, I'm going to grow pretty. That's not what we mean. <laughs> is it going to include a healthier diet? Not some fad diet, please, but a sustainable lifestyle. Are you going to praise God by getting regularly to your doctor or your dentist or your chiropractor? Do you need to add regular exercise? Please make it something that fits you. If you've had two knee surgeries as I have, don't write running down, okay? Make it swimming or walking, something that is sustainable for you. Figure out how you can best care for your temple of the Holy Spirit and write it down. I'm going to pray for you while you write it down. Write something down right now, please. Go ahead. Jesus also grew in favor with God. So let's discuss growing in favor with God for all of us who follow Jesus. What does it mean to grow in favor with God? Well, Jesus' life itself shows us the way. Think, think. Though He is Himself God, Jesus considered it joyful to engage in fellowship with the triunity. Jesus kept growing in His relationship with the Father and with the Holy Spirit. Thus, all of us who follow Him can and should grow in our relationship with the triune God. So So how does one grow in a relationship with God? The Bible has a couple of really important pointers. Okay, first one. First, be willing to draw near to the Lord even if you live among people that used to give him lip service but now laugh at him. For example, consider, if you would, the tattered remnants of the nation of Israel under King Hezekiah. Now, Hezekiah was the king of Judah, the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom of Israel was in complete disarray at war. Captive by Assyria, many of the people taken away, totally estranged from Judah and especially from the worship of God in Jerusalem, which was where the temple was inside Judah. But Hezekiah, this is awesome. Look at this. Hezekiah invited all of Israel to come together to Jerusalem and celebrate the Passover. Fascinating story. Here it is, 2 Chronicles chapter 30. Hezekiah sent word throughout all Israel and Judah. He also wrote letters to Ephraim and Manasseh. Um, Ephraim and Manasseh are the the sons of Joseph, the two largest tribes in the north, they're kind of used as a, as a summary of the whole northern kingdom. That they could come to the Lord's temple in Jerusalem to observe the Passover of Yahweh, the God of Israel. The couriers traveled from city to city in the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, as far as Zebulun. But the inhabitants laughed at them and mocked them. But some from Asher, Manasseh, and Zebulun humbled themselves and came to Jerusalem. The book goes on to say that God blessed these people. The text says that Yahweh gave heed to their prayers. He atoned for them, which means he added cost onto the tab that would be paid by the Messiah. In other words, their humility and their perseverance led to a deeply satisfying encounter with God. Look, look, here's how satisfying it was. Look at this, uh, verse 25, of the same chapter, 2 Chronicles 30. Then the whole assembly of Judah, with the priests and Levites, the whole assembly that came from Israel, the foreigners who came from the land of Israel, those who were living in Judah, rejoiced. There was great rejoicing in Jerusalem. For nothing like this was known since the days of Solomon, son of David, the king of Israel. When you swim upstream and you draw near to God, there is joy. As as James says it in the New Testament, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. How can a person find favor with God? Counterculturally, draw near to him. And second thing, set your heart that by God's grace... You're going to live out His Word. A little later in 2 Chronicles, we meet good King Josiah, very young man. As a very young man, Josiah set himself to live out God's Word and thus grow in favor with God. L- listen again. Uh, this is 2 Chronicles 34, all right, a few chapters later. Then the king stood at his post... And made a covenant in the Lord's presence to follow the Lord and keep His commands, His decrees, His statutes with all His heart and with all His soul in order to carry out the words of the covenant written in this book. Again. God drew near to Josiah and honored that desire. Do you know what God did? He empowered Josiah to keep that commitment, and that king became a rich blessing to the world. Chronicles teaches what we see reemphasized over and over and over in the Scripture, to grow in favor with God. Number one, counterculturally draw near to him, and number two, set your heart so that by, by his grace, by his empowering, you will live out his word. So, in my life, I purpose to incorporate those truths into my regular daily experience. First thing I do... I pray. I work hard to pray without ceasing, to always be engaged with God's Spirit. And I also have regular reminders that I use as triggers for prayer. When, when I get up in the morning, I, I pray. It, it, it's become habit now. It's a discipline that I have. Every time I eat, I stop and pray. Uh, it's a wonderful reminder because I can't live without food and I can't live without the Lord. Uh, when I come to a red light, not all the time, but often I stop at a red light and I pray. Unless my favorite song's on the radio, then I pray at the next red light. But I, uh, but, I, but I stop. That's not really true. I stop and focus on talking with God. Second thing I do, and I recommend this to you as well. This is what I do. I don't miss a chance to worship with God's people. I know the Bible commands us together in worship, but my motivation is a whole lot more than obedience. Here's, here's what I've learned. There is something magical that happens to my soul when I humbly enter the corporate gathering. In church, I'm convicted by the text in a different way than, than when I'm just alone. I'm moved by the songs in church differently than when I'm just singing while I do dishes at home, right? There, there, there is a sense of connection with God that somehow comes through the gathering with His people. My dad was convinced of this, and he raised us on this. So when I was a kid, and we got done with a wrestling tournament somewhere in Oklahoma or Kansas or wherever we were on a, on a late Saturday night, We did not stay over in a hotel like the other families did at that wrestling tournament. Oh, no. We got in the truck and we drove all night to get home and we got up for first service to be at church the next morning. And I didn't mind. Well, partly I didn't mind because my daddy let me wear my medals from the wrestling tournament to church, so I like that. But I also didn't mind because I learned something. I, I, I learned that when you commit to regular worship, it can draw you closer to God. That's why our family never even entered the tournaments that were slated to go through a Sunday. We just, we just refused. We wouldn't do it. It wasn't legalism. It was wisdom. Dad knew that we were more likely to drift away from the Lord if we stopped gathering with His people on purpose. Third thing that I do to grow in favor with God, I have boundaries that are erected to keep my heart from sin. Like Josiah, I have stationed myself on my post of holiness. In particular... I make it very hard on my soul, I can still sin quite easily, but I make it hard on my soul to abuse four things, to abuse money, drugs, sex, or power. I have trained myself to look the other way whenever salacious images assault my eyes. Whenever I find myself attracted to lustful thoughts, I talk to my sweetheart about it as soon as possible. We talk a lot. Whenever whenever I am alone with someone that is female, her last name is Broderick, period. I do not meet alone with women whose name is not Broderick. I don't touch any church money, never, nothing to do with it. I'm not in charge of our elder board. I do not have the final say. I don't set the agenda. Our chairman does that. I forsake alcohol and drugs lest they get a hold on me. Are those things inconvenient? Yes. Are they a hassle sometimes? You bet. But it is worth it to grow in favor with God. So now it's your turn. What needs to change this year for you to draw near to God? While I'm praying for you, I want you to write in your notes some ideas. You can can iron this out later, but some ideas for my plan to grow spiritually during 2017, to grow in favor with God. Write it down, please. Please. And even those of you who are really healthy and godly, and you are, you're wonderful, please don't write, just stay the same. There's only one person here who's perfect, and his name's Jesus, okay? And you're not him. Yeah, okay, just want to make sure. Finally, let's go over Jesus' last point for all of us who walk in his steps, growing in favor with people. There was a time in my life when I would have covered this topic very briefly. I mean, after all, it's pretty simple. It's pretty simple. To grow with humans, you do the same thing you do with God. You listen to them, spend time with them, talk to them. It's simple, right? James says, draw near to God, he draws near to you. It's the same with most earthly relationships. Draw near to people, they return the favor. So in the past, I would have just said, go to a life group or join a new life group when yours inevitably finishes its life cycle, right? Join a Bible study, make a friend. I would have said that. Been very simple. I can't say that today. At least not without first saying and leave your cell phone behind. When you go to dinner with friends and you spend the whole night looking at your phone, what message does that send? That they don't matter as much as someone or something that isn't there. Boy, that really makes people draw near to you not Better to follow the example from Scripture. Look at the growth among the very first church members. Acts chapter 2, verse 46. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple complex and they broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with a joyful and humble attitude, praising God, having favor with all the people. And every day the Lord added to them those who were being saved. Devoted, you see that? Not leftovers. They don't just give everybody the leftovers after dealing with some marginal pretend relationship online, right? They're devoted to meeting together, and that flowed over outside the church. Look at it. They gained favor with all the people, leading more and more to trust Jesus every day. So here's some of the things that I do to try and be like that, to engage with people relationships. First thing I do, and this may be the most important in our age, I determine to remove the blockades to relationship, especially the mobile phone blockade. I have a severely, most of you know this, I have a severely disabled son. And I live every workday knowing that I may get a call at any minute that he is in severe crisis and I am needed stat. Okay, that's, that's the joy of what I get to live in. It is a joy, it's a blessing, but it is hard. Yet, I still put my phone inside my desk drawer whenever people come to meet with me. I leave it on. I have it on, and if I hear Jana's ringtone, which, by the way, is kiss me by six minutes on the rest of if, I, if I, If I hear it, she shows it, and I think it's perfect. Um, if I hear Jana's ringtone, then, yes, I interrupt and go, because that is important. My son matters. But I don't have that phone on the table because I want them to know that they matter. I remove that blockade because I want to grow in favor with mankind the way Jesus did. Another of my disciplines, we host people in our home every week. With our disability situation, we can't get out very often to meet people. It's hard for our home. So instead, every single week, we host a Bible study in our home and we host a reading club in our house as well. Another, third minor discipline that I do is I answer every non-group email, every non-group social media note that I receive and I answer them almost always within 24 hours. Now the answer may be, I'm so sorry, I am swamped. I will get to you as soon as I can. That's a fine answer. But regardless of what reply I send, every single person who writes me knows that they matter to the Lord and they matter to me. How about you? How will you consistently work to grow in favor with people? Right now, boy, some of you are desperately convicted about that answering email, and you should see your faces. (laughs) Good for you. Uh, Right now, scribble down some ideas about how you're going to grow relationally in 2017. Write it down. How are you going to grow relationally in 2017? No, you can't write email Wayne every day just to test him. That's not nice. That was was very, very thoughtless. All right, good. Okay, before we go, look at the last thought in your notes. Look in your notes. Always remember one other thing about goal setting. Always remember one other thing about goal setting. It's all achieved by grace. Here's an important truth. Listen, important truth. The method of justification... Always determines the method of sanctification. Since we are made right before God by His grace, then we live our days growing in His grace. We are sanctified. We grow in holiness by God's empowering grace. I want you to go back again to the Denzel Washington video. Okay? Look and listen again. Something very significant here that we need to draw out. Understand this.
1: Understand this also. You have these dreams, and as Kenny said, dreams without goals remain dreams, just dreams, and ultimately fuel disappointment. Dreams without goals, yearly goals, light goals, daily goals, monthly goals, hourly goals, minute by minute goals, dreams without goals are just dreams and they ultimately fuel disappointment. Goals on the road to achievement cannot be achieved without discipline and consistency. Hmm. You understand? Between goals and achievement are discipline and consistency. Now, watch the turn here, watch it. I pray that you all put your shoes way under the bed at night, so that you gotta get on your knees in the morning. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> right? mm. And while you're down there, Thank God for grace and mercy and understanding we all...
0: Now, did you notice how he goes from goal setting to prayer? Automatic transition. Why? Because our goals can only be achieved by God's grace. That's why he says, thank God for grace. And I don't know if you could hear, but the guy recording says really softly, you go, Denzel. (laughs) It's not my grit that gets me through the hard disciplines. It is God's empowering spirit that takes my feeble grit and gives it power and love and discipline. That's why Philippians 4.13 says that I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Perhaps even more pointed is Peter's letter written just before he was crucified. He he closes the book we call 2 Peter with, with a critical reminder that we must continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus All the way up to the end. 2 Peter chapter 3. You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and forever. All God's people said, Amen. Amen Amen indeed. Tell you what I'd like to do. I'd like to invite you to kneel with me now. Uh, if, If you wish. If you're able, if you're dressed where you can, let's close our service in a slightly different way. I'll still give a benediction in a moment, but let's, let's do this. I'm going to kneel right here. You can come up here and join me. I would love to have you join me up here. You can kneel where you're at. You don't have to kneel, but let's all kneel in our hearts. Let's get ourselves ready, and I want to take a minute and spend some time in prayer before the Lord, relying upon His grace. Let's kneel together and talk to the Lord. You're welcome to come here kneel where you're at, whatever you wish. Let's spend a moment in prayer. Lord God Almighty, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we want to be like Samuel. We want to be like Jesus. Help me. Help my brethren to continually reform, to continually envision better selves, growing up according to your plan. Lord, here's what we pray. We pray that we persist in moving forward and we resist worldly attacks, that we overcome obstacles. I pray that we grow in wisdom, that we grow in stature, that we grow in favor with people and in favor with you, so that we are, oh Lord, here it is in a nutshell, so that we are by contrast, that we are different from the Phinehas and Hofnis all around us. And of course, God, that will require your boundless grace for which we praise you. Friend, why don't you take a moment right now and pray through all the things that God brought to your mind as you were writing down or thinking through those four areas of growth begin the process of submitting them to the Lord and letting Him refine them. Talk, talk to Him about what you put down. Talk to God specifically about your need for grace, a continuous reliance on him so that this doesn't just become some self-help nonsense of which our world is full, but a genuine spiritual activity, a real discipline in the Lord. And now let me close us with a benediction. In fact, I'm going to do this while our prayer team comes forward. I apologize, prayer team. I did not warn you in advance, but you get to come forward now. And as the prayer team comes forward, let me pronounce this benediction on us all. Now may you and I go in the grace of our Lord and Savior, Messiah Jesus, and in His grace, may we grow up according to God's plan. All God's people said? Amen. Amen.